When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ho, 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 hello, and welcome back to Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that decked the halls heavily with boughs of holly and now finds it quite hard to get into the kitchen. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and today I'm looking at Last Train to Christmas, which is a new time-travelling and train-travelling Christmas movie on Sky Cinema. Now, I know what you're thinking, and no, this is not about the mysterious ability of British Rail to never get you where you're meant to be going on time, basically, ever. It is, in fact, the story of a man called Tony Towers, who's played by Michael Sheen, who's a wheeler and a dealer headed home for Christmas with his much younger fiancée, played by Natalie Emmanuel, and also his brother Roger, who's played by Carrie Elwes. Now, Tony is a big shot in his own mind, at least, but his life isn't quite as under control as he likes to suggest on the outside. And he suddenly finds on this train that as he moves forward and backwards through the carriages of the train, it takes him forwards and backwards in time through his own life. That means that he can change his life completely with a single tiny tweak in the years past based on the outcome in the years still to come. So it's a premise that you could maybe describe as a man meeting not the ghosts, but the carriages of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. But this isn't just a railroad spin on A Christmas Carol, I promise. We have had every possible spin on A Christmas Carol that there could ever be, and I'm sure we'll still get many more besides. But this film is a slightly stranger beast, because Tony isn't a terrible miser to begin with, and much of what he learns concerns not only himself, but actually members of his family friends, people around him. So it does turn out to be a rather different movie than the one you probably think you're going to be watching based on the synopsis alone. While the result is scrappy and, I'll be honest, a bit chaotic at times, it's also genuinely quite original in a way that I appreciated. And I think Michael Sheen is fantastic in it because, you know, he's Michael Sheen. So I was delighted to sit down recently for a short interview with Michael Sheen, who you know, of course, from the likes of the Underworld movies, from Frost Nixon, and from TV's Good Omens, uh, season two of which, by the way, he's right in the middle of shooting. So as we spoke, he had that crazy Aziraphale hair. So here's what Michael had to say about Last Train to Christmas, about Christmas in general, and about his own Christmas traditions. Please enjoy. Hi. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. Good, thank you. Yeah, good. Are you perhaps in good omens mode at the moment? I am, yes. I just uh, finished filming for Christmas day before yesterday. Fantastic. And so, uh, yes, that's why I've got the uh, the hair. Yeah, very distinctive. <laughs> Love it. Um, can't wait for season two. Oh, good. So, yeah, so we should, I mean, this is obviously a Christmas movies podcast, so we should talk about yeah. Last Train to Christmas. Are you a fan of Christmas movies in general? Is this something that, you, is this an itch that you've been waiting to scratch? I, I very much so. 
I am a huge uh, fan of both Christmas films and just Christmas generally. Mm, I do love right. Christmas, yes, um, and love Christmas films. I've always wanted to do a Christmas film. It's just never come up before. It never has. And the fact that this one is uh, not only a Christmas film, also a time travel film, which I've mm. always, I, I'm also a massive fan of, and I love trains. I mean, it's ticking all the boxes for me, to be honest with you. That's that's ludicrously on point. It really case. is. That's, that's I mean, absolutely meant to be. It was sort of written for me. So, you know, like Julian Kemp, who's the writer-director, we've been best mates since we were in drama school together. And, ah, um, and Julian does say that he kind of wrote it with an eye to, you know me doing it so I know he's leaned into things that he knows that I'm into <laughs> it's very unfair really it yeah it doesn't give you much choice at, no. at the end of the day does no, it you, exactly. you've kind of got to say yes at that point <laughs> yeah although when a script does come along from someone who's a good friend you know I mean that's a that is a scary thing because you think what well, yeah. it's absolutely rubbish um but fortunately this wasn't it was marvelous yeah, absolutely yeah. it was it was not quite what I was expecting either I no. thought it was a bit cleverer and a bit more sort of sideways on than than the film I was expecting to see when it began. Yes, it sort of lulls you into into thinking that it's going to be something that actually it sort of takes a different turn, doesn't it? The characters you meet at the beginning, you know, my character Tony, Sue, and the situation in a way similarly lends itself to uh, stereotypes maybe, you know, makes you think, oh, I know who these people are. I know what this relationship is and I know what this film is. And mm. I think in the same way as the film kind of takes you somewhere that you weren't expecting, I think you also start to discover that these people are not what you yeah. thought. And I don't mean like, oh, they've got secrets. I mean, they're just more complicated and complex and rich and full of you know, paradoxes and contradictions than like, you know, people are. Yeah. And so I liked that about it. I really liked that it did that and that it played with things that are familiar, uh, not only the characters, like I say, in the situation, but also the fact that in the tradition of a lot of Christmas films, certainly some of the more successful stories that have stayed around, like your Scrooges, your Christmas carols and your It's a Wonderful Lives, um, you know, there it's, it's someone having the chance to revisit their life, go on a tour of their life, be taken and shown their life in a way that, you know, maybe they hadn't quite uh, taken on board before and seeing the consequences of their actions. And in this case, actually trying to change that and make changes. Um, and I like that, the familiarity of that. I thought that yeah. was strong. And at the same time, something that's very unusual and very different to a lot of other Christmas films and the, and, and the sort of character that goes on that journey. I like that combination of things. I thought that was very both clever and kind of moving as well. You know, you know yeah. I thought that was Yeah, it was powerful. moving, yeah. Mm. And in a way I didn't expect because I thought it was going to be a fairly simple, instead of ghosts of Christmas, past, present and future, carriages of Christmas, past, yeah. present and future. Yeah. Um, but but because he can change things by moving through the carriages and acting differently, it's everything keeps shifting and, mm. and the ground keeps changing under him. And, and it sort of introduces this element of, I guess, chaos that we don't really have in any of those other stories. Yeah, exactly. I, I Yeah, exactly. I was very struck as we were filming, something that started to sort of become an obsession in a way was thinking about the randomness of our lives. You know, what, what appear, you know, obviously because we, as far as we know, choose one path, um, unless you, you know, subscribe to the, Multiverse theory and the all that kind of stuff, but you know, we, well, I we mean, can I only... just saw Spider-Man last right. night, so yeah. yeah, exactly. We can only be aware consciously of one path that we've taken, so it somehow seems quite neat in retrospect, in a way. But when you actually look at it and think about it, you think, well, 
those people who became most important in my life, other than family, I guess, I could easily have not met them. If I'd left the house a minute later, or if I'd made that slight different choice or that different decision, it could have all been so different. And the the sense of randomness and chaos that we're living in. And, and then you think, well, is there a kind of a guiding hand? Because it, when you look back, you can only, you can see, well, I mean, our brains are made to see patterns, I suppose, recognise patterns, even when they're not there. Hence, all kinds of bizarre conspiracy theories. But recognising the patterns in your life and, you know, I guess psychotherapy is all based on that, isn't it? And um, mm. and and realizing that it's not as random. It's nowhere near as random. There is randomness there. There is chaos there. But we are constantly create forming patterns out of that chaos. We're we're creating meaning out of meaninglessness potentially, yeah. I suppose. And and so there's some sort of push me pull you thing going on. To bring up another film that's quite popular at Christmas time, although it's not a Christmas <laughs> film. Yeah. So there's. So that, that I found that really fascinating as well. That 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 uh, you know when you do look back, you think, oh, it could have all been so different, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it could. And yet there are these, not say patterns, but there are these kind of habits. So you do tend to take the train home, or in my case, the plane home, or whatever, every Christmas. You know, that, so so it does still kind of mm. fit that it would this particular thing would be repeated every year and there would be a sort of a yeah, model well, there. I suppose there's something inherently um, about Christmas that lends itself to things that I think have become very popular tropes in Christmas films mm. in that, you know, just in life, Chris, you you know, come around to Christmas every year. So there's a sense of uh, you can mark a life through Christmases and therefore you can't help but think about Christmases past each Christmas. So, you know, the, the ghost of Christmas past is always with you because you kind of go, well, remember this this Christmas last year, you know, Nana was still with us or whatever it might be, you know, like you can, you can see that and it marks the passage of time anyway. I think partly why I like time travel things is because of the melancholy in it, the sadness in mm. it, because there is a, a, in the best of time travel films, like, I don't know, 12 monkeys and, you know, whatever, whatever it might be back to the future. Even there is a sort of a, there's something in there about the passing of time that I find incredibly moving. My favourite of the Back to the Future time travel films is the second one, where you're able to watch things from the first one from a different point of view. There's something yeah. that goes very deep about that, I think. So there is something quite moving about time travel in itself, but I think it's the same thing that's quite moving about Christmas. And and it is that sense of, of marking and looking back and getting a, a moment where you do take stock a little bit and yeah. and think about the consequences of choices and oh it could have been different and it, and it you know it's not a coincidence obviously that then within a week you're making new year's resolutions it's about the future based on whatever you know nightmare you've had over christmas you go well this is how i'm going to do it from now on so there you can see why christmas carol screws that story strikes a real chord with us because it's 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 a metaphor for itself you know mm-hmm. if, that, if that's even possible but it it does sort of it does kind of reflect what we all go through at, at Christmas time, I think, and that and that sense of possibility, you know, the, the moments, that pivotal moment between the then and the and the still to be. There's a kind of a moment, a sense of possibility, and there's something about Christmas that somehow I think can appeal to what is best in us. You know, that we can yeah. we can be more than what we have been in this moment. This allows us the opportunity to to kind of. To, to go beyond ourselves, to transcend ourselves somehow and and, uh, and makes us feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. And I don't just mean that in a religious sense, but in a in a community sense as well. You know, whatever it works for you, whatever's bigger than you, whatever you can relate to that is sort of, that takes the onus off you and what you want and what you need. At Christmas, that seems to 
to kind of be very powerful and, and kind of resonate for people a bit more. And so you can see why those stories like It's a Wonderful Life and, and Christmas Carol can kind of have really tapped into that. Yeah. And we do as well, I suppose, in this film, but in a very, very different way, <laughs> but with mullets. But with mullets. I yes. mean, the, the, the hair is something I was going to ask about. Did you, <laughs> you have many different hairstyles throughout mm. this film, some of them extraordinary. Um, <laughs> did you have a favourite? Oh dear. Well, I mean, the favourite, I suppose, is the is the the first one we see, the the the, the, the sort of baseline version of Tony Towers in nineteen eighty five with the full on Stringfellow. That is that is a strong <laughs> look, and it's got so you know. I grew up in the eighties. I I'm, I was born in sixty nine, so I was what you know eleven at the beginning of the eighties. So it was my formative years, teenage years. So that just that look depresses all kinds of buttons in me you know I'm suddenly listening to never ending story <laughs> you know or whatever you know all those things it's all in there so I love that but the, the look I have to say the look that made Julian laugh the most because every every day I would come out of the hair and makeup trailer and there'd be people who would gather around ready to because we it wasn't really <laughs> we'd sort of just make it up you know that we I mean it was all planned but in terms of what the look was actually going to be it, it sort of happened in the trailer that day. So the one that made Julian laugh the most was the alternative version of Tony from the 80s where he's a radio DJ and he's got the Radio <laughs> Trent sweatshirt on and the hair is sort of based on some kind of weird love child of Noel Edmonds and Mike Reed from the 80s and I've got like, and I always remember from Radio 1 road shows and they'd, and they'd always wear like tiny little white skimpy tennis shorts. Such, such short shorts. Oh, yeah. such short shorts. And so that look with that hair and the glasses, it was only when the, I put the Steve Wright glasses on that it all came together. But I remember walking out of the trailer that day and Julian practically fell over that day. And you think there's a lot more extreme <laughs> looks going on there in that film, but that one for some reason really tickled him. So that was a favourite as well. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Hi, everybody. My name's Helen. And I'm Kobe. And we're from Flix Watcher, a podcast in the strip media family. We are a movie podcast and we review films that are just on Netflix in the UK. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix to watch, we're the podcast for you. We have guests on from other podcasts, big and small, just like these guys that you listen to now. They choose the films and we rate them and discuss them with our unique scoring system. You can find Flix Watcher on any podcast app by searching Flix Watcher. That's F-L-I-X Watcher. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.stripped.media to find out more. Tony Towers, we, we should talk about him because, you know, you talk about Christmas being a time to kind of take stock and, and, you know, look beyond yourself. And it strikes me that he is not a guy who has stopped very much in his life to the point where we meet him. He has just kind of ploughed ahead. Exactly, yes. It's not that he's a bad man in any way. He's not Scrooge, you know. He's not He's not someone who's being mean to people and has to be changed. But he's someone who has not thought really much about consequences or um, the choices he's made. He is, you know, in one way, he's very much in the moment. He's, you know, uh, probably not in the kind of positive way that people talk about being in the moment, not in a Buddhist way or anything. But he is sort of just about the now and having fun. And yeah, at one point he says, I just want people to have fun. You know, that's that's all I want. And, and I think that is true. He doesn't really th think too much about it. So he's sort of perfect to be put on this, you know, in this weird situation because he's not, He's not really spent much time reflecting. So getting to see 
what are the consequences of 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 the choices he's made and then giving him the opportunity to try, to make changes and that's i suppose the thing that's different isn't it in the, in the kind of classic christmas versions of this they don't change anything i mean scrooge just that's the awful thing for scrooge i suppose isn't it is that he gets to see it and mm. and and learn from it and discover what he did and but he can't do anything about it he has to do something back in the present day again, doesn't he? And and the same with Jimmy Stewart, I suppose, in, in It's a Wonderful Life. He yeah. sees an alternative version, but he can't change it. He can only go back to the the present day and 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 sort of reevaluate, I suppose. But Tony gets to be able to actually make changes. And that's that's when it starts to go into like back to the future territory, I suppose. And um <laughs> but we really go in there. I mean, most time travel films, I think. Tense, you know, that you have to deal with the, oh, if we change this and the butterfly effect and all that, kind of, they go into that, but they don't really, really go into it. They don't go right and chaos happens and like, every, like now his whole life is different. And we really do go into that. Uh, for better or for worse, we go in there. <laughs> and I, I love that about it. I love the sort of the courageousness or the stupidity of going, <laughs> you know, that thing that people skirt around in time travel, let's really go in there. So that's the slightly different thing, but I, and and I do love that it does touch then on on how interconnected everything is in our lives. You know, it's it it seems random, it seems chaos, but everything is connected. And again, I think there's something very, for me, uh, very touching about that. That not only is 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 one person's life, all the things in one person's life interconnected, but we are all interconnected. You know, that sense of us being a community, and and I think the importance, anything that 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 you know, spotlights the importance of, you know, your actions. I mean, this is very It's a Wonderful Life. The, the, the actions of one person can have such an effect on, on a whole community of people, you yeah. know, whether you're aware of it or not, for better or for worse. And it's the same for your own life, that, you know, your, yeah. your choices you make. And there's, I suppose, a key moment in, in our film is when Tony says to his brother Roger, he says, you know, the important thing is the choices you make right now today and he knows that because he's seen what's going to happen to Roger in the future and and you know so he's coming at it from a slightly different point of view but he's you know it it resonates for us I think in that you know if you spend too much time in the future or the past in your head you can lose the importance of of the moment and 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 that's what I mean I suppose about Tony coming to understand something a bit different about what being in the moment is yeah I mean, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but the credits on this film have a rather Bondian promise that Tony Towers will return. I know, in I saw that. Is I was like, Hang on, what? Hey, <laughs> Julian, what? Well, what I will say is that we had a conversation. I mean, we, me and Julian, when we were filming, would have lots of conversations about the ramifications of what we were doing, you know, and the story and stuff. But we did have a, we did talk about the idea. Well, and I'm going to try and say this in a way that's not a spoiler. It's an uplifting ending. It's an upbeat ending. But there's another way of looking at it going, but hang on, where's where's Tony's life gone? And mm. so where he gets to at the end, I can only imagine that he would want to go back again. Right, yeah. And Or it would be very difficult to resist the temptation to... To, to go back again um, because of the way things res resolve themselves in this film. And so, you know, there is obviously the possibility of, there's a whole other, I mean, for a, for a film that's about multi multiple paths in life, there's always more to explore, isn't there? Um, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I have to ask as well about, um, there's a song in the film because there's a, there's a musical element here, mm. um, a song, some songwriting, a song called Eagles of Love. Yes. Now, Joe uh, the original so The original version was Seagulls of Love. 
Yes, it, but it, it gets was. changed to eagles of love, and we see the moment that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a shame. I, th- I don't think Me seagulls too. get enough love. Exactly. Really. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see the song. I want to hear the song "Seagulls of Love" get, making it in the charts. Um, but yeah, who, who sang that? Because it's credited to uh, to Joe Soap, but I, I don't think that's a real name, is it? All right. Well, it's. Um, it was written. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe I'm not supposed to say. Well, it was written by uh, someone who writes a lot of stuff for people like Liam Gallagher and people like that. So it's someone you know, someone who knows what they're doing. And there was talk at one point of you know a Christmas single, but that unfortunately the only person who was talking about that was me. So that didn't happen. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's a great song. And there's a bit in the story, well, part of the story revolves around me and my brother at one point and in one version of, of my life, uh, of Tony's life, um, become sort of pop stars, I suppose. And they have this big hit, Eagles of Love. And uh, my brother may be more talented than me, and yet it doesn't sort of get presented like that. So in the film, you see us coming up with the song. Roger coming up with the song. And then later on in the film, you hear me singing it. And I'm supposed to sing it really badly. And so I said to Julian, I came in on the day they were filming the bit where my brother comes up with the song. And I said to Julian, I should I should now not listen to it ever again. So that when we come to do the scene where I have to sing it, I just have to remember. Because Tony <laughs> in the film, the version of Tony that's going through time, he only hears it once you know, in the version of his life where, uh, so he, so when he has to sing it, he, he can't remember it. So we did do that. And I just sounded like John Shuttleworth when I was singing it. <laughs> that was all I had going through my head was a John Shuttleworth song. So that scene, the scene where you hear me singing it, I really am genuinely not having a Struggling. clue what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I have to wrap up, but there's a couple of questions that we ask everybody. They're very quick fire. So mm. I'm just going to finish with those. First of all, what is your favorite Christmas movie apart from this one? It's a Wonderful Life. Correct answer. Yes. Mm. Well uh, although strong competition from Elf. Sure. Over the yeah. last few years, I've started to, but yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think that will ever be knocked off the perch. Correct. Um, and is there an unusual Christmas tradition in your house? Do you have to open a present on Christmas Eve? Is there a particular kind of food that you always have to eat? What do you do at Christmas? Well, Christmas traditions for me are are, are a slightly strange thing because I have lived in so many different places and had so many different versions of a home life that uh, traditions have not really been able to do. So I always think of traditions as from when I was growing up, you know, the, the things that I did. And the, and the strongest one, the strongest memory of a tradition is Christmas morning, Coming up, me and my sister coming downstairs, and we weren't allowed to go in the room. Does everyone call it the room? Yeah. You weren't allowed to go into the room uh, until my dad had finished his breakfast. And I think this started off with uh, coming from my mum to make sure that we had at least some version of breakfast before we shoved, you know, tons of chocolate into every orifice we had. And so it started off as a good thing. My dad, I think, slowly mutated it into torture. I mean, literal torture. So my dad would go, I am still eating my cornflakes, Michael. And then we'd be like, oh, come on, dad, come on. And then he would go, and now I'm having a cigar. And he would just torture us until eventually mum would go, go on, go on, go on, go in, go in, let him in, my Rick, let him in. And that, so that's weirdly the biggest, strongest Christmas tradition I have is essentially based on the psychological torture of young children. Okay. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a note to end on. Well, listen, thank you so much, and uh, best of luck with obviously Good Omen season two, and congratulations on the movie. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> 
Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! just heard a stripped media production.